Hungry Homies, today's Thanksgiving edition of House of Carbs brought to you by Oris Watches. For over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. Staying true to a rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. And watches come in four themes, diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture. So Oris has a watch for everyone and every occasion. Shop the collection at oris.ch slash carbs to go your own way. Today's show also brought to us by Vital Farms. A lot of great goods from Vital Farms for Thanksgiving, my taste buds. Cage-free eggs. Well, sure, it sounds nice, but did you know that a cage-free hen only gets about one square foot per hen? At Vital Farms, all the hens are pasture-raised with 108 square feet per hen and outdoor access year-round. That's better than than, uh, 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 the first condo I lived in. Vital Farms, pasture-raised, bullshit-free. Visit vitalfarms.com slash coupon for $2 off a dozen pasture-raised eggs and look for them in the black carton at the grocery store. All right, my taste buds, my hungry homies. What a time to be alive. My favorite eating time of the year. We are officially two weeks out from the greatest holiday ever invented by humankind. Of course, I'm talking about Thanksgiving. And you have found the right podcast for your belly. You've made it. This is House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host. Taste buds, there's only one way to do Thanksgiving, and that is with our expert pal, our permanent friend of the pod, Adam Rappaport, the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit. They have been innovating in their test kitchen and trying to make some things perfect. Let's just get right into that turkey belly with Rappo. All right, my taste buds, we've established this is my favorite holiday in all of the holidays across humankind. It is not complicated to understand why. There is only one way here at House of Carbs that we can honor our public service commitment to you, all of our hungry homies, and that is with the expert input of the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit. He is one of our original taste buds here at House of Carbs, Adam Rappaport. Welcome back, buddy. Joe House, how are you? I'm spectacular because Thanksgiving is is two weeks away, and I have been eyeballing the Bon Appetit issue that's out now. I've been online. There are recipes flowing, and you guys have have made a, a bold claim. I mean, the first thing I see, it says, Bon Appetit's absolutely, positively perfect thanksgiving menu i mean that that creates some expectations buddy 
No, we we fact checked it and everything. It's a hundred percent true. Oh, verified. We got the we got the little check and everything next to it. It's verified. We're all good. Okay. Well, congratulations. Um, Thank I think you. we're we're interested in hearing what went into this and some of the things that that we might uh do ourselves between now and, and Thanksgiving, and then on the day of to 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 have our own shot at perfection. Yeah, so what we did this year, um, we 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 essentially fused the magazine with our very successful YouTube channel, which I think is about five million subscribers now, and its whole lifestyle life of like celebrity editors and whatnot. Um, and we have a series called Making Perfect, where we sort of send the editors out, test kitchen editors, to sort of create the perfect pizza, or in this case, the perfect Thanksgiving meal. Uh, and so each editor is tasked with like, all right, what is the perfect turkey, the perfect mashed potatoes and whatnot in a way that's both creative, new, interesting, but also delicious. So we, we kind of took this six-part video series and transmogrified it into an 18-page article in the magazine with all the recipes and tips and techniques and whatnot. Um, and I think it's kind of cool, actually. It worked out really well, better than I thought it would, given trying to sort of merge the work, cross the streams, if you will, of print and digital uh, video. So before we jump in, and I'm looking at, at some of these recipes, and I'm excited to talk about them, how much of this um, have you forked a mouth yourself? <laughs> forked a mouth? Um, <laughs> I want to say most of it. Typically at Bon Appetit, we have a test kitchen um, on the 35th floor here at World Trade Center. And every day around 3 p.m., dishes are put up for tasting. Uh, and so any editor working on a story has to come down there, taste the dish, give feedback. Uh, in the case of Thanksgiving, because uh, print magazines are made so far in advance, Thanksgiving happens essentially in July. So if you're in the test kitchen in July, you will be eating stuffing and mashed potatoes and turkey. And what happens is a lot of times a dish goes through multiple iterations before it's deemed like, you know, has passed the test. Um, so you might have four straight days where you're getting cornbread and sausage stuffing. And if you're into that, then you're like, this is awesome. Some of us by day four are like, hey, man, I'm good with the cornbread and sausage stuffing. You guys do it. I've had enough. <laughs> well, I'm interested in particular in the why is it so good gravy? Because oh yeah, I love the fact that that MSG is on the comeback. It never went anywhere. It just caught for some weird reason for about a decade, maybe 15 years, a weird cultural uh, derogatory place in in the um, umami food chain, completely undeserved. Some folks claim to have sensitivities to it. Seems very unlikely that's that the medical science backs that up. And it feels like MSG is on its way back. And again, I'm saying it never went anywhere. Tell me a little bit about this. Why is it so good gravy? If you if you will, please. Yeah. So Carla Music, our food director, developed this. She is a big MSG proponent, as is your boy David Chang. Um, it's just a, a seasoning element that can add that something, something to a dish. You're like, you taste the dish, and you're like, and they were saying like, oh, it tastes okay. The gravy tastes okay. And then they added just one teaspoon of MSG, and they're like, oh. Now it works. There's that umami, that depth, that tang, that something, something that really brings a dish together. Um, and MSG can do that, and it sort of like really activates your taste buds. It wakes them up. Uh, and so Carla is, has always been a big proponent about it, but there are people out there. She was saying when she did her cookbook last year, uh, where cooking begins, the only bad review she got on Amazon was someone who was irate that she included MSG in her cookbook. And then when we did this gravy, I got this long handwritten letter from someone saying how 
how irresponsible it was for us to include MSG because people who are allergic to it, it could, could create a violent reaction. I'm like, well, yeah, if you're allergic to shrimp, that creates a violent reaction. If you're allergic to peanuts, that creates a violent reaction. If you're allergic to something, then don't eat it. But to the average person, MSG is completely fine. That's right. And, Sorry, and, that's my rant. I will get off my soapbox now. No, well, this is why I wanted to start here because, you know, it had a controversial past, but the elemental... Yeah, it was com- basically... It was very much a like angry white people complaining about stuff in America in the 1980s and sort of stereotyping certain types of Chinese food and yeah it was completely unfounded and it was debunked and it was nonsense and it's just, and and it's like for the vast majority of people out there it's a seasoning agent that works great and there's no harm in it. That's it. So I uh, this is why we had to to kick off with that kick in the pants. It could be an MSG Thanksgiving for 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 all we know. I mean, you know, I don't know how many other of these recipes, but let's give it let's a shot. Do... One t- one teaspoon makes a big difference. I, I, right. I mean, imagine that with with the mashed potato mix. Um, I'm, yeah. But, but let let's just do uh, another kind of thirty seconds or so on this gravy recipe because there are lots of conventional ingredients in this this gravy recipe, but there are a couple of unconventional ingredients um to go along with the msg that seem to me to be creating you know this this platonic ideal uh, uh, of great like i haven't had this but you guys are shooting for perfection and there are enough unique ingredients in this as you would expect out of carla uh that yeah. you know <laughs> it, it, it feels like some something where we're, i'm going to taste it and it's going to taste familiar but elevated and i think that's what what you're after with this whole uh, make perfect exercise, right? Yeah, and we want well. We, a, we wanted it delicious, but we also wanted it manageable. So what Carla and our colleague Molly did was let's make a gravy that you can make ahead. A lot of times, people with typically on Thanksgiving, you're taking the drippings from a turkey after the turkey is roasted. You have the big roasting pan, you're deglazing it. That often stresses a lot of people out right before they sit down to dinner, whisking in a roux and stock and whatnot. This one, you make your own stock. You use a bourmonier, which is a fancy word for basically just mushing together flour and butter. Um, And then, yeah, you've got these sort of these elements that sort of give it depth and flavor. So uh, Carla and Molly, they're adding a little bit of sherry. Um, Mm. There's a bit of ginger in there. Mm. There's some red wine vinegar. Mm. There's MSG. So you take what essentially is a stock butter flour. And then how do you how do you give how do you dimensionalize that? Because you have the base of the of the gravy, but you need to give the gravy some personality and character, and that's what those elements do. And I think what's cool about having a recipe that you know has been tested multiple times is that when it says use one teaspoon of MSG, two teaspoons of sherry vinegar, that you know that they have they've dialed it in like that's the exact amount you need and that gives you enough flavor without overwhelming the gravy while still tasting gravy-ish um and i think that's what's cool about you know honestly working in a place like bon appetit where you know i'm not in the test kitchen testing stuff but it's nice to know that i can trust these recipes because i've been down there enough time that they've gone through testing after testing after testing and again start sorry to sound preachy but if a lot of times you get a random recipe on the internet you have no idea how many times that recipe has test, been tested if it, if so at all um and so here you can trust those measurements and and the little measurements make a big difference yeah well i i um kind of hijacked the conversation here at the start and had us start with gravy because as has been scientifically proven on past episodes of House of Carbs um it is our uh uh 
staunch belief that gravy is a fulcrum component to a successful Thanksgiving meal. It plays such a crucial role that if you are able to nail the gravy, you've really opened up some some possibilities with your Thanksgiving dinner. Do you agree with this? Yeah, gravy makes everything better, period. So you need good gravy and you need multiple gravy boats on the table. You know, you need like a gravy boat on each quadrant. So four to six people maybe are sharing one gravy boat, but you can't be asking someone all the way at the other end of the table to pass the gravy boat down. It's a and minimum. Also, the thing with gravy, yeah. gravy makes everything taste better, and it also makes everything moister. If you got dried yes. out white breast turkey meat, like put a little gravy on it. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it has a re- rehabilitation kind of uh, aspect to exactly. it. Exactly. I mean, and it takes any, anybody that's been damaged and brings them right up to speed. 100. Yeah. So, okay. I, I, like I said, I hijacked and I wanted to start with gravy because this caught my eye. The MSG component caught my eye. These cool ingredients like ginger and amontillado, sherry, that caught my eye. But let, let me let you tell the taste buds out there the stuff that you guys have up your sleeve and some of the things that you've developed that you would uh, like to, to shout from the rooftops uh, and have everybody uh, put on their tables this Thanksgiving. All right, I'm going to, if we're starting with gravy, gravy's partner is mashed potatoes. And what I love about this recipe, which Carla and Molly did, they take, they, they were so hell-bent on having crispy potatoes on the table. And I'm like, guys, you can't have crispy potatoes. We can't be doing roast. We need to have mashed potatoes on the table. So they were like, okay, fine, whatever. We'll make your mashed potatoes. So they do a classic, almost more of a pureed potatoes, uh, French style with a lot of butter and cream and pass through either a food mill or a ricer. So it gets super creamy and pureed. But then... A genius move to that, they made a sheet tray of what they call crispity crunchities, which is broken up Cape Cod potato chips, breadcrumbs, fresh herbs that are then tossed in butter and roasted in the oven so they get all super crunchy and golden brown, taken out, tossed with a bunch of fresh chopped parsley, and then you just shower that on top of your creamy bowl of buttery mashed potatoes. So with each scoop, you get all this like this mouthful of crispity, crunchity, golden, buttery, herby, salty amazingness. And it's like kind of freaking genius. And you're like, oh, you got it both. You have your creamy potatoes and your crunchy potatoes all in the same bite. And it's awesome. I mean, I'm kind of speechless sitting here listening to this. Not only would I be inclined, obviously I will follow the outstanding guidance and, and direction of the the innovators and put put those crispity crunchities onto the mashed potatoes but who's going to stop me from sprinkling them on on the turkey breast with a tiny dollop of gravy who's going to stop me from from sprinkling some crunchity 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 crunchities on my stuffing and by the way you know we push the envelope here at house of carbs a little bit I mean, I'm not above sprinkling a little on my private parts, Adam Rappaport. That's just that's just the direction I might go. I'm not saying, but Thanksgiving is just that kind of holiday sometimes. If it goes in that direction, uh, I'm not ruling it out. You, you feel me? Do you feel me? 
I'm going to officially no comment on that one. But <laughs> what you what you what you uh, need to stop yourself from doing yes. is eating all the crispity crunchities before they make it to the potatoes. Because if you just have them on your kitchen counter, you will be snacking on them the entire morning slash afternoon. And next, you know, it's time for dinner, and they're all gone. Well, what, um, what, so whatever the recipe, that. yeah, whatever the recipe calls for, I'm just going to have to make sixfold or eightfold. Just you know what one. I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, quadru- uh, quadruple it. What a, one other interesting thing that Molly and Carlo did while in the research was um, they, they met with a potato expert from the Union Square Green Market here uh, in New York who grows all sorts of potatoes and knows what he's talking about. But he brought 10 different types of potatoes into the test kitchen uh, for us to boil, steam, roast. Uh, what is the best one for mashed potatoes? They um, set on a potato called Butterball, which is kind of like the best name for a Thanksgiving mashed potato, similar to Yukon Gold, buttery, golden in color, super tender, super potatoey flavored. And what they found out, which I also thought was interesting, which I've never done, uh, is the best way to make mashed potatoes is to roast the potatoes and then bring them out of the oven and peel the skin off while they're still hot, but you know, trying not to burn your fingers. But that prevents any water or moisture from soaking into a potatoes. And if you've ever made mashed potatoes before, a lot of times we often forget to take the potatoes out before, just when they're done. So they end up absorbing more water in the pot, and you end up with watery, soggy potatoes, and you don't want that. Any moisture you want in your potatoes, you want from butter and milk or cream. You don't want watery potatoes. So if you roast them, you avoid that problem. Entirely. So ha- help me with this because you know what you know what kind of chef I am. I am, um, yeah. you know, preparing food to eat it. I don't have necessarily the most delicate touch. I I, I don't have a thousand certified hours in the in the test kitchen. Um, what you're describing in terms of of roasting and then the 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 peeling is there a hack for that? Because I, I am either going to burn my hands or cut up the potatoes and they're going to have skin on them. I, how, you're, you're a skilled guy. I've played golf with you before. I've heard you used to have game on the basketball court. I, I'm confident you can pull this off. You roast them till they're done, about 45 to 50 minutes. You hold them like in a sheet, like a, a, a kitchen towel in one hand, and basically just use a paring knife and just sort of like peel off or use your hands to peel off the, the skin. You can do okay, that. Okay, okay. So you you're know, saying I got, it, you got this. Don't be intimidated. Step up. Take the potato by, 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 the, by the bottom. And peel that sucker yeah. like like a grown ass adult. Okay. And then okay. I do recommend for for people who do love potatoes and any other vegetables, a, a ricer is like one of those big. We talked about this before. One of those big sort of Play-Doh machines that you put it through the potato in there and you squish it down like a hammer and it extrudes it. A food mill is that hand cranked device that you put over a bowl and it runs it through like a sieve like bottom. Both of them produce very beautifully evenly pureed potatoes or other vegetables. Um, or if you're old fashioned like my mom, you just use a hand ma- hand potato masher. Um, and that's going to get the potatoes a little chunkier, but if you if they're cooked through properly, they should at least be tender and soft throughout. But sometimes you use like a little bit more texture. So I think any any of those is fine. It's just purely up to you. I'm very proud to announce we have a ricer here in the house household, and we use okay. it for mashed potatoes. Yeah. It's fun, kids. It's one of those fun things that kids can do. Um, yes. All right, so those are the potatoes. They're awesome. Another little trick element. All right, so Rick Martinez and Chris Morocco were on stuffing duty. Um, and after a lot of debate about whether, you know, are we using cornbread or are we using basic some sort of white bread or sourdough, they settled on cornbread and sausage stuffing, which, I mean, sausage in my book is a must. I'm 
personally, I'm sticking with the bag of Pepperidge Farm stuffing mix, like the dried up sort of croutony breadcrumb thing. I'm not a cornbread guy. That's just me. I hate, I'm sure half of America is, but I'm, you know, you, you still got to dance with the date who brung you. In, in this case, I'm saying no to cornbread stuffing, but I do think what they did was genius for their cornbread stuffing. Rick made a cornbread. He's from Texas, so that's where his, his heart lies, and his dad makes cornbread stuffing. One thing that they did, I think, was really cool when they were sort of sauteing all the aromatics, the onions and whatnot, uh, and butter and everything in the pan before they started blending it with the the, the sort of the, the chunks of, of cornbread, they blitzed up a bunch of corn nuts, like basic gas station bag of corn nuts, huh. put them in a food processor, blitzed them, and then tossed those in the butter and aromatics, again, to add that extra element of crunchiness and super corny flavor that sort of turbocharges the entire stuffing. And you're like, that is genius. Why did I not think about it? But now you can. So if you're making cornbread stuffing, check out this recipe, cornbread stuffing with sausage and corn nuts. And that corn nuts is like that that secret ingredient. It's like the MSG for this recipe. Um, I am blown away by this crunchy Thanksgiving that your test kitchen is tossing out here. We have the crispy crunch of these to go on top of the mashed potatoes. And this cornbread stuffing with a little bit of crunch to it. I'm with you in terms of like uh, the the sausage based kind of traditional. And we had to we have to do a little bit by hand in my household because Pepperidge Farms a lot of their stuff has milk ingredients in it, and my shorty can't have oh, interesting. Uh, milk. Um, but the uh, there are versions of the bag stuff you can get that don't do not have milk. But we. Tried to innovate a little bit. We use some sourdough and and you know produce uh, you know sort of, sort of that as the foundation. So sourdough and sausage is is one thing that we have going here. But you know that the the cornbread. I, I'm I'm also not typically a cornbread person in terms of stuffing because I only like cornbread with barbecue. I um I can be like a little old school in that way where I've made an association with a particular type of food and and I need to be thinking about it differently. Yeah. So this is this this little innovation is nice. Yeah, cuz like cuz Thanksgiving is such a traditional uh holiday. I think we all come in with certain expectations. My issue with cornbread is love cornbread, especially if it's not too sweet. Sometimes like that that, that restaurant in DC uh near you, the Dabney, um Jeremiah the chef serves you like a skillet cornbread that comes in a skillet, the bottom's all crispy, there's butter on top, it's not sweet and like it's amazing. Like if you're in DC, go to the Dabney and order it. My issue with it when you're trying to turn it into stuffing, even if it's not sweet, there's still a cakey like texture to the cornbread that I don't love for stuffing. That's just me. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I totally get it. All right, my Victual Varsity. Quick break from this chat with Rappo. I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter because hiring can be a slow process. Listen to this story. Cafe Altura, COO, Dylan Miskowitz. He needed a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So we switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan did this. He posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great coffee candidates apply. 
He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants. Should I make a coffee filter joke, uh, nephew Kyle? Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> I hope it was a cone-shaped filter so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for all businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hungry Homies also want to tell you about Oris watches for over 115 years Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. Staying true to a rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. Because of this independence, Oris has the freedom to follow its own path. They're focused on bringing change for the better, which means making choices that are ecologically, socially, and financially responsible. I need all the help I can get on the financial side, nephew Kyle. That includes ocean conservation and recycled plastic partnerships. Of course, that's along with Oris's century-long commitment to making inventive, high-functioning, Swiss-made watches that serve a real purpose and at prices that make sense. The best possible watch for the money. Comprised of four themes, diving, aviation, motorsport, and culture, Oris watches are made for everyday wear. Nephew Kyle, what if we, we should call these folks and see if they'll make a belly watch. Let's just throw up the bat signal there. That's it. We're throwing it up to the Oris folks. Let's, let's get the belly watch going. Shop the many different unique styles at oris.ch slash carbs. You're sure to find one that's your style and suits your taste. That's O-R-I-S dot C-H, not dot com, slash cars. Where are you, House? Where are you on cranberry sauce? Um, I'm I'm like fine with it as long as it's fresh. I don't want anything. I, I like it. It's not to me uh, a crucial element of the Thanksgiving experience. I understand its place. I don't have any reason to you know violently oppose its presence it's like two bites for me i do like that it's two bites that are like tart which is why i insist on fresh not too sugary um but as a way of like basically a a, a palate cleanser in between the deep rich ingredients that i'm otherwise completely devoted to so that's that's my take on it Strong agree. I've definitely come around to it as I got older. As a kid, I would never eat it. But now you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. You want something tart and acidic on the table with all that other heavy, fatty, creamy stuff. We did one in the magazine, which I actually think is pretty cool. Um, Brad Leone was obsessed with like the canned sauce growing up, so he wanted something reminiscent of that. Andy Barragani, his partner, was like, yeah, no way. But, so what they did is they developed like a classic, beautiful cranberry mold, um, and it's all bejeweled and glistening. Uh, but they did it with, with fresh cranberries, um, a little bit of gelatin, cranberry juice, some cardamom pods, 
Uh, and so what you get is this beautiful, glistening, bejeweled mold with sugared cranberries on top with a little orange zest uh, sprinkled on top. And it gives you that 1960s old school dinner party vibes. But to your uh, sort of request, it's fresh cranberries. Uh, it's not too sweet. Uh, and it delivers that tartness that you want while sort of being a beautiful centerpiece for the table. So I would check this one out. I think it's it's pretty cool. Um, and this went through a lot of iterations also before they finally arrived on it. And they just call it Fancy Cranberry Sauce. Um, and you can check it out on, online now. Well, you know what? You make a great point because um, one of the things that is so delightful about the Thanksgiving experience is that table, that assembled table, once the foods are arrived, and if you're able to navigate kind of assembling the table with all of the food and just give it 30 seconds before everybody rushes and slams in and starts grabbing stuff, there is kind of like a 30-second moment each Thanksgiving, if you're lucky enough to pull it off, where it, it's, it's a beautiful reflection of all of the time and energy that you've put into it. Here is the, the, the bounty from from that work that you want to share with your family but you know it has a real visual appeal before it, it gets massacred uh and i like very much what you're describing here in terms of i've never thought about this the cranberry mold at the center it does have a kind of cohesive element to it first of all because it's round but also the deep like ruby kind of color that that the luster of that that color because everything else around it is like more neutral palette colors, right? You got some, you got browns, yeah. you got variations of of cream and and so forth. So I'm I'm digging this. You're you're setting off the the artiste in me, Rappo. No, you, you eat you eat with your eyes first. So I think that's really important to have a beautiful table, um, especially if you have that sort of that ruby red mold set atop a white tablecloth. It looks really nice. I'm personally of the school that you do the side table buffet for all of the food, the stuff in the mashed potatoes and whatnot. On the table itself, you have a couple of gravy boats. You've got your cranberry relish sauce, whatever you want to call it. But most of the food, just for like ease and function, goes off to the side. And that, that way you can have the wine, the gravy, et cetera, on the table and not have the table too crowded. That obviously depends on what kind of table you have, but I'm a buffet side table guy. That's just me. Wow, I I like this. I don't know if we've we've covered that before. It does Oh yeah. It does like um simplify a lot of the table traffic because, you know, you you have competing uh tensions at a traditional big table with eight or you know, six or eight or 10 or even 12 people sitting around it. How does the food go from one end to the other? Do you create two turkey platters, you know, one that has the beautiful it's bird on it and one that's sliced? They're, they're- too many conflicting traffic patterns and like, yes. hey, can you pass that? Oh, hold on. And you're like, so by the time you actually have your plate complete, you're sitting there for like 10, 15 minutes. And it's like, no, like if you can just have the assembly line going down the, the table on the buffet, much more efficient. You take what you want. You keep it moving. You sit at the table. Boom, you're ready to go. So that's, yeah, that's that's what I endorse. But you want a couple of things on the table so the table is not bare. Um, it, 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 it's, it's brilliant. And I think I'm going to uh, have to recommend it. All right. I, I know that... Uh, you have other competing concerns today, but I want to make sure that we built in enough time to cover your mom's pumpkin pie 
because you wrote about it. It was in this week's uh, newsletter. If you don't subscribe to the Bon Appetit newsletter, first of all, what are you doing with your life? But second of all, you're missing out on Rappaport once a week sharing with you some kind of personal insight that that he's uh, arrived upon with with either a meal that is uh, harkens back to his his youth or something he's encountered in his daily travels. Highly recommend the Monday newsletter from Bon Appetit. I look forward to it every week. Can we talk about Maxine's pumpkin pie, please? We can. I just hope she's not listening uh, to House of Carbs. So <laughs> I grew up. I grew up eating Maxine. My mom, uh, who's, I want to say, a very active 84 now, um, she would make a pumpkin chiffon pie, um, which essentially is it's a graham cracker crust with a pumpkin mousse, if you will, that is refrigerated uh, or fro- yeah, refrigerated overnight, essentially. And so I never loved traditional pumpkin pie in the sense that the crust would often get kind of soggy. The filling could be kind of dense and sludgy. This pie was light and airy and fluffy and cloud-like, and you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing, with the whipped cream on top. Um, so I, my feeling was, oh, this should be on bonappetit.com. I will come to the test kitchen. I will make it. I will let the editors taste it, and then we'll just put it up online. It did not go that way. I made the recipe. I'm like, okay, not hard to make. Again, you're sort of just you got your your, your Libby's pumpkin, you know, uh, puree. You got some egg yolks, yada yada. Um, and I will talk about the making in a minute. But made the pie. The next day, I presented it to the test kitchen editors, and man, I've never been met with so so much lack of appreciation for making a pie. You know, typically I was writing <laughs> the newsletter, you give someone a pie, and you're like, oh my God, this is so good. Thank you so much. Oh my God, this is amazing. And you're like, oh no, no, it's nothing. These editors, Carl was just like, how much sugar is in this? And then like, Claire's just like, did you par-bake the crust first? You might want to. Molly's just like, um, is there anything with cream? Have you thought about putting like sour cream or yogurt in here? Because it's kind of flat tasting as is. It was just like brutal. It's like you're defending your thesis in like grad school. Not that I ever went to grad school or defended a thesis, but that's what it felt like, at least in movies that I've seen. So I actually made a bunch of alterations based on their sort of wizened uh, critiques. Um, and you know what? I was like, I, I, I have not told Maxine this, but it's like, oh, this is actually much better than it was before. Um, like, it did not need to be as sweet as it was. The, the baked crust evokes a nutty, toasty, graham crackery flavor that was not there prior. Um, you know, everything, adding a little salt to the crust, and adding the yogurt, Greek yogurt or sour cream to whipped cream is genius. God bless Molly Boss for suggesting that. Um, oftentimes, if you whip cream, it tastes fine. It just tastes kind of flat and creamy. This all of a sudden gives it that sort of that tang and still being creamy and fluffy. And you're like, oh, that's genius. So this is a really cool recipe. Again, you're just making a basic custard uh, with some nutmeg, cinnamon, egg yolks, uh, and whatnot, and then a little milk, and then some the puree. And then meanwhile, you whip egg whites, and then you fold all of that together with a little Oh, there's also a little gelatin, sorry, in the pumpkin mixture. You fold it all together, pour that into the pie crust, stick it in the fridge overnight, and the next day, you're like, that is the lightest, tastiest, fluffiest, creamiest pumpkin pie I have ever had. Now, do you take it out of the out of the fridge, like at what, what point of the day? I love that it's a make before. So if you want to make a couple, is, they're just, you're, you're done. Like desserts, yeah, like so cross I, that off the we list. We refrigerate it overnight. 
The original recipe that Maxine had on her, like her handwritten index cards from way back in the day, she at some point started putting the pie in the freezer overnight, or at least for several days, so so she could make it ahead. You know, with Thanksgiving, when you're doing an entire Thanksgiving meal yourself, you try to get the dessert out of the way. Yeah. Which I understood the the challenge with that, which we sort of determined in the test kitchen. It was unclear how long it needed to defrost, whether it was defrosting in the fridge or on a counter. And so sometimes, and I've had this before, if you don't let it defrost long enough, you are left with some like ice crystals in the pie, or maybe yeah. those ice crystals melt and then you have excess water. So we just found it best, like, you know what, there's gelatin in there, the pie's gonna set, just do it in the in overnight in the fridge and take it out maybe a half hour before serving and you're fine. Half hour. Um, That's that was pretty ideal. Yeah. And it was and it was perfect. Um okay. and it really was I was kind of astounded at how good and fluffy and boosy it was. But this is the thing. You you have access, you 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 are in the, the truly uh, best position to to belly source all of those kind of transportive um, foods from from your own youth and and all of our collective youth and bring them into the that innovation kitchen and just see what comes out and 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 look what we have all of the hungry homies hey. out there have this the benefit of, of this this good work that you've done. Yeah, and I was just on my on my Instagram at Rappaport if you want to follow me, R A P O P O R T. Um but I said, you know, we all need editors. Like in life as writers, there's always some constructive criticism that might be hard to hear at first, but once you think about it, you're like, Oh, actually you know what? That was good advice. I'm gonna follow it because the people giving the advice I trust. So that was another like sort of a self help sort of thing. I can't remember I wanna say someone in sports on one of these podcasts said this. Um, they said in terms of social media and being shouted down and all those sort of things, never take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Pretty good. All right, my culinary comrades, we are headed down the home stretch of getting this Thanksgiving day perfect for you and your hungry homies. But first, a quick word from Paradise Coast, Florida. Get a taste of paradise when you visit Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades on Florida's Paradise Coast. You know, it's cold on the East Coast now, nephew Kyle. It's freezing cold in Washington, D.C. today. I heard. So thinking about getting down to Naples, I mean, you're, you're talking my stuff here, Paradise Coast. They're known for white sand beaches, luxurious hotels, and the world-famous Everglades National Park. Florida's Paradise Coast is also one of the top dining destinations in the U.S. I can actually attest to this. I was in Naples last winter and went down for a little bit, snuck in a couple rounds of golf, and had some spectacular eating. Like, you would expect there to be fresh seafood. There was fresh seafood. It was delicious. Award-winning chefs and restaurants gather here on Paradise Coast to take advantage of the area's year-round excellent weather, access to fresh ingredients, and diverse culinary culture. Do you love seafood? Shrimp, scallops, mahi, snapper, and grouper are all caught fresh in the Gulf of Mexico and served in the many restaurants that dot the coastline there along Paradise Coast. Paradise is also the stone crab capital of the world. So be sure to get a bite of those succulent claws. Stone Crab season kicks off mid-October with the annual Stone Crab Festival and winds down mid-May. You feeling adventurous? Order Florida Alligator for some rustic Florida fare. Paradise Coast restaurants 
Utilize farm-to-table ingredients, seasonal menus, and other options for many dietary restrictions without sacrificing flavor. Discover the citrus-spiked dishes, artisan cocktails, craft breweries, traditional southern comfort foods, and more that make Florida's Paradise Coast a must-travel location for any serious consumer of the foods. Learn more at dineinparadise.com. That's D-I-N-E-I-N-P-A-R-A-D-I-S-E.com. We're here to take advice from you. Let, let's tell all the, the taste buds out there, the platforms that they can visit to grab all these great uh, recipes, to see the, the hardworking kitchen homies in action. We got to see Molly and Carla. We got to see Leon doing his thing. We got to see Andy. Let, where, where can everybody find all this stuff? Okay, so first of all, for our Making Perfect video series in which we send out each of the editors for each episode to make the perfect mashed potatoes, et cetera, et cetera, you can go onto YouTube. Each, each episode is rolled out weekly. Or if you have Apple TV, Amazon Fire, those sort of things, um, the entire series is on now on your uh, TV. Um, the magazine, you can pick it up on stands, or you can go to bonappetit.com uh, and do a search for Making Perfect Thanksgiving. You'll find it, but it should already be there right now. Um, and then, yeah, that's like we kind of got you covered and um, you can follow me on Instagram. Well, we've got everything covered in terms of the crucial ingredients for successful Thanksgiving. One noteworthy uh, exception. We did not talk Turkey today, Rappo, but there is uh, a great recipe uh, on there. It's, it's a, a spicy glazed Turkey, right? Well, yeah. So Andy and Andy Bergani, Brad Leone again, uh, super team. Um, the, the big thing is here, we cook the turkey in parts. Uh, often you have a big turkey, the white meat's dried out, the dark meat's not done enough. This one, if you can get a butcher to take apart your turkey, just ask them to separate the legs and thighs. You have the breast. You set that on to like a, you get a sheet tray and you put a cooling rack, like a cookie rack set into the tray. You do a dry rub all over the turkey. You put that in the oven, the air circulates beneath each part, the breast gets stays super juicy, the dark meat gets kind of fall apart, it's got the dry rub, and as you're cooking it, you've got like a soy glaze you're glazing it with. Um, I've never had turkey this beautifully cooked before, where each part sort of retains its integrity, if you will. You have juicy white meat, rich, tender, dark meat, and super, it's like just well spiced and seasoned on the outside. It's a revelation. You will never cook a whole roast turkey again. Well, now I don't want to give this short shrift. I need I need another couple minutes on this because you've just raised a whole sure. bunch of questions. And honestly, this is, uh, if it's not the centerpiece of the table because you have the beautiful uh, 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 cranberry at the center of the table, the bird is is the king of the buffet. The, the bird is, exactly. is, is, is owning the, the buffet table. So in the first place, when you're talking about separating it in, into parts, I know it's online. I know I can see what they do. But what are you talking about? You're not talking about spatchcocking. You're not talking about splitting it and opening it. Well, no, yeah. I mean, again, so I, I'm a guy who, like, I'm not going to deal with taking apart a part of turkey. I will go to my butcher here in New York and ask them to separate the legs and thighs and wings and then keep the entire breast piece with bone in as one piece. Um you know, you can if you if you have a good grocery store with a butcher counter, they will do it for you. Also, if you want to do it yourself, um, we have instructions. There's also you know videos and stuff online. We have one on Bon Appetit. You know, but you can find them elsewhere about sort of how to take apart a part of turkey. But this allows each part to cook to its ideal temperature 
separately, like I said, with the heat coming from the top, the bottom, every side, which is very different than roasting a whole 16 to 18 pound bird on its own. It's just really hard to get that doneness correct and get it dialed in. This Across also allows that, each piece yeah. to be more the seasoning to penetrate each piece of the bird. So are you doing this in, in series? Like, how are you doing various parts? Do they all cook at the same temperature? Like, what's the it, logistics so, of it? Yeah, so that's what's weird. You, you set, again, you set that cooling, that cookie rack into a sheet tray, put a little liquid on the bottom so that it doesn't burn, um, and you put it in the oven together, and somehow it all gets done at the same time. About If you have a thermometer, which you should have, you want 150 degrees for the white meat, 170 for the dark meat, um, and it all emerges. You start at 425, you drop it to 300, um, and we call for a 12 to 14 pound bird. Total cooking time is one to one and a half hours. Um, that, and that's and again, all you have to just, do? You can, you can have it all in there at the same time? Yeah. It just, I don't know why it works. I think it's because of the different sizes and whatnot, like the breast meat, the breast pole sort of sections can be bigger than the thighs and legs and wings. It just works. It's seasoned beautifully. It comes out at the same time to doneness. And you're like, that's amazing. I'm again, it's like, I don't know why or how it works, but it does. And like to, to do the whole roasted bird, I get it. If you want that Norman Rockwell presentation, but this is just far superior. But when you taste it, you'll get it. All right, uh, uh, Rappo, this this turkey, we're going to end with this. It, it claims to be expertly spiced and glazed. So it is both spiced and glazed. I understand that's a two-step process. Let's end this show. This is the the, the absolute peak of of turkey making. Let's do this for all the culinary comrades. What's what's the what are the two steps here? Yeah, so what you want to do is you want that first dry brine period where in the sense you're making a dry rub. In this case, it's salt, it's garlic powder, onion powder, paprika, some brown sugar, some black pepper. You're blending it all together. You're rubbing that all on the on the pieces of the bird and you're putting that in the fridge overnight to sort of absorb all that flavor. So that's going to kind of give the, the bird its base flavor. And then once it goes into the oven, you're dipping in there with some glaze that you're making from herbs and garlic, orange zest, soy sauce, vinegar, and the remaining about third cup brown sugar. So as the bird is roasting, you're shellacking it with that glaze. So it has like the penetrating sort of effect of the dry rub. And then the glaze is what's going to give it that beautiful finish that not just not only looks great, but tastes great on the outside. Now, help me with this. It sounds a little bit like barbecue turkey. Is, is is that where we end up? Is it does it have that kind of uh, reminiscence, or, or am I off base? Hell, hell, is, is is that a bad thing? No, 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 it's not. Exactly. I mean, it's a great yeah. thing. The barbecuers know what they're doing. You want that dry rub? You want that shellac on there? You want flavor on flavor on flavor? And that's what this bird brings you. Well, I'm going to call this the Bon Appetit Barbecue Turkey, and I might have to like pimp it out that way. I'm going to give it my own name. My own name. You know, we had Alex Delaney on. Uh, two months ago, we were talking about the perfect Sunday football foods, and I gave a name to his uh, expert approach to roasted potato chips. We're calling them champion chips. How about this? The, I'll, I'll work on a name for this. The Bon Appetit barbecue bird may not be enough. It's alliterative, but it's not you know evocative enough. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to work on this because this, this barbecue bird is – uh, I mean, the, you, nothing's going to surpass the crunchity crunchities it, from from earlier in, in this discussion. But this bird is right there; it's one A. 
All right, we'll be we'll be looking forward to hearing from the Joe House branding agency in terms of what we should rename the bird. <laughs> Rappo, as always, that's a killer Thanksgiving lineup. We appreciate you. We have to have you on. You know, we're in the middle of winter. We've got a winter palette to take down. So when we're all bundled up here after New Year's, looking for our way towards spring, we'll talk about some things to keep ourselves warm. And in between then, you and I need to figure out a way to keep ourselves warm on a golf course. But until next time, thanks, buddy. Uh, thanks so much, Joe. Always a pleasure. All right, my taste buds, there we go. I hope you are feeling empowered and ready for battle as this Thanksgiving uh, approaches. My thanks, as always, to Adam Rappaport. We are back next week. Some exciting news coming from Infatuation and Zagats, and we might have a surprise appearance from James Baby Doll Dixon. His credentials are extensive. You will enjoy hearing from him. Until then, my friends, let's stay hungry out there.